Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. It's funny when somebody says you're going you're gonna to teach on forgiveness, that is often one of the days where you also have to tell the ushers to bar the door. I don't want to. Uh, I, I, like, I like the mat I carry. Um, I don't. I want to minister to your soul this morning. I just, I just want the grace and peace of our loving Savior to come to rest upon you. So, so much so, in fact, that I had, uh, I had a, a fairly extensive message written that I, I'm only going to talk about half of it today. I'm going to talk about the half of it, the other half next Sunday, because I want us to be able to just kind of sit in the presence of Jesus, because. Dealing with places in our own souls, our own hearts, our own minds, where we've experienced significant pain, where we've, we've experienced trauma, can be challenging, to say the least. Pastor Bernie brought a word last week that I'm in the front row and I'm fired up. I mean, he's saying, now is the time. He is sharing with us the prophetic voice of Hancock Junior College. Um, if you remember that sign, God is up to something and he's inviting us to be a part of it with him. And he invited many of us to just kind of come to the front and walk out of, leave behind whatever we have been carrying. And I was with those that that came to the front because he said sometimes we need to leave something behind in order to press in to the future. And as I've thought through that this week, I just kept coming back to this place where the Lord is reminding me of times in my own life I have had to walk out of pain in order to walk into promise. And there there are, are five significant moments in my life where I have experienced deep, traumatic, crippling, fear-inducing wounds from another person. Um, and it, 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 it's run the gamut from, from people who worked for me to my peers to people who I worked for to organizations. But there have been these moments in my life where, where someone has done something that was just so wrong and so unrighteous it was either going to be an opportunity for me to invite the grace and peace and healing touch of Jesus into that very, very sensitive area, or it was going to be for me a line of demarcation that I was not going to move beyond. And I would like to say, because I've, I've been serving the Lord for a long time, every time I came up to those spots, it was like, yeah, this is awesome. Jesus, I forgive and let's move forward. But the fact of the matter is, time and time and time again, I would have a conversation with Jesus that kind of sounded like this. I don't want to. And that was about the end of the conversation. And God, in his great love for us, infinite wisdom and incredible grace and patience, would just deal with some of those areas in my heart that needed to be healed so I could walk into wholeness. Forgiveness, the act of forgiving somebody. We're going to talk about what that does and doesn't mean in just a second. The act of forgiveness is actually a gift that Jesus gives us that allows us to align with living in the kingdom of God rather than being governed by the rules, the regulations, and the burdens of the kingdom of this world. Forgiveness is not something that flows from the weak to the strong, but rather from the strong to the weak. If you need a biblical example of that, I would give you Jesus on the cross. Jesus, 
in whom the fullness of God lives in bodily form, is the one extending forgiveness. So when we talk about forgiveness this morning, let me remind you that you are daughters, you are the sons of the Most High God. You bear his image and you carry his spirit. And one of the things that kept me for so long for, to offering forgiveness to those who did not deserve it, those who had wounded me, is because I was aligning with a thinking that comes from the, the kingdom of this world, which says when you offer forgiveness, when you extend grace, that is a sign of weakness. Let me dispel that myth right now. We sing Sunday after Sunday that there is no one stronger, more mighty, more powerful, more omnipresent than the God that we serve. And that is whom, that is who extends forgiveness. If you want to, on the way home, have a conversation with Jesus about how weak he is to extend forgiveness to those who don't deserve it, go ahead, but make sure nobody you love is in the car. I've seen what happens when people get struck by lightning. Uh, no, no. He is loving, he is gracious, he is kind. Here's one of the things that was a challenge for me. When I, I would come to scriptures about forgiveness and, and wanting really, do you know what it's like when you really want to align with what God is doing in the spirit of God, but, but you just, you feel this disconnect and it's hard to move, move forward. One of the things that was making it hard for me to move forward is I had a, an incorrect view of what forgiveness was and wasn't. So because I didn't understand what forgiveness was, and I thought it was something that it actually wasn't, when I would come to, to have to offer forgiveness, I'd like, I, I can't do that. So I want to unpack for you just quickly five myths about forgiveness. These are things that I've heard. These are things that at times I have believed, but these are things that are not true. And if there is enough pain in your past that forgiveness is a challenge, then perhaps you have inadvertently aligned with some of these things. Here's, here's the first one. Forgiveness requires forgetting. Give that a hearty, nope. No, uh, you give that a hearty nope. I want to hear it. Nope. You've heard it though. Forgive and forget. Forget that. Forgiveness does not require forgetting. It's not possible. Forgiveness does not mean pretending that something horrible that happened to you, something painful that happened to you, the fact that someone hurt or offended you didn't happen. That's not forgiveness. That's denial, which is very, very, very different. None of you who were parents, if your kid in their exploratory phase went and put their hand on a hot stove and were burned would go, listen, you just need to forget about that and put it behind you. Would you? No. Good, because I don't want to call CWS. That's great. You expect someone to learn from that experience and perhaps, we'll get to this, set some boundaries about their behavior and how they engage with a hot stove. Forgiveness is not about forgetting. It is, to a certain degree, about letting go. Letting go of the bitterness that comes with it. Letting go of the desire for revenge which, if I'm honest with you, that is the biggest challenge for me in the area of forgiveness. I would like to say I have been fully conformed into the image of Christ, but when you hurt me or mine, I want to hurt you back. Is that okay to say in this room? Does that come as a surprise to a pastor? Come on now. 
this is the natural, the flesh that rises up within me. And if it rises up within you as well, I understand that. I identify with that. But my encouragement is that we come to a place where we are not governed by that. What's, what's incredible about Jesus is that the, the fact of the matter is that as we posture ourselves in a way that extends forgiveness to people who don't deserve it, over time, that painful memory can become a distant memory. It, its sting is gone, but it remains a memory. Forgiveness does not require forgetting. If that's a requirement you put on yourself to forgive, be released in Jesus' name. Second myth. Forgiveness means that I treat the person exactly as I did before. Absolutely not. Absolutely. Forgiveness and reconciliation are two very different things. Forgiveness is something that an individual extends. Reconciliation requires agreement, identification, and recognition on both parties as well as a commitment to move forward. Being reconciled is not a requirement of extending forgiveness. Trust must be earned. I've heard it said that trust is more easily kept than recovered. If someone has wounded you deeply, if they have betrayed your trust, if they have violated something in your relationship or violated you, Jesus does not require of you that you trust them again. That is not only not biblical, it's not logical. If you hurt me, Forgiving you does not require that I put myself in a place where you can hurt me again. Forgiveness, here's the third one. You, are you doing okay? Okay. It's quiet. I understand it's quiet. We're talking about, ooh, okay. Take it all in. Let it, let it sink. Here's the third myth that I'd like to dispel. The myth is that forgiveness means, forgiving them means that what they did wasn't wrong. No, absolutely not. Forgiveness, by definition, requires an offense, and that, for, that offense was wrong. Forgiveness does not mean that what we're saying that what they did was okay. Forgiveness, by definition, means that what they did was not okay. That is why we have to extend forgiveness. Number four, forgiveness means, this is a myth, make sure you're getting this in the myth context. This is, these are not truths I'm proclaiming. The fourth myth, forgiveness means that there should be no consequences. I said I was sorry. Why are you still mad? I asked you to forgive me. Why, why, are, you still, why are we still even in talking about this? Have you ever had a conversation like that? Like, okay, that is, a, that is a tactic of manipulation. That is not something that comes from a repentant heart that is geared toward restoration. Forgiveness has nothing to do with consequences. Forgiveness has everything to do with vengeance. Forgiving someone means I am giving up the right to take my revenge. Forgiving someone does not mean I absolve them of the consequences of their actions. One of the consequences may be that we redefine the nature of our relationship. I am choosing to forgive you. We'll unpack that definition in a minute. But I am not going to align myself with you, come into your area of influence the way I once did. Some of those people who I was referring to earlier, I don't even talk to. Now, I have done some work to forgive them. And in all honesty, I am it's amazing what digging into a message on forgiveness will do to your heart. I'm like, oh, I don't think I've forgiven that all the way yet. Okay. 
Thanks for nothing. Here we go. But I am not going to put myself in a position where they can hurt or harm me or my family again. I'm just not going to do it. And if they go, but we just want to be friends, I'm like, sorry, this is a consequence of your action. I'm not punishing you. I'm just keeping myself safe. Here's the last myth, and then we're going to turn to the word. Forgiveness means I stop hurting. I wish it did. We forgive because we are hurt. It's something that we do in the midst of our pain. Think again, Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them. Forgiveness is an important part of the healing process, but just because I still experience the pain of that memory does not mean I have not forgiven. Forgiveness begins in the head, and then it goes to the heart. I can still experience the pain of a wrong that was done to me even as I am in the act, in the process of extending forgiveness to someone else. We, we could probably sit and share a, a ton of other myths. You know, you, you forgive people because they ask for it. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. God, I wish it was so easy. I wish it was transactional. You ask me for forgiveness, and I'm going to forgive you. And yet Scripture says, while we were yet what? Sinners. While we were actively engaged in working against the plans and the purposes of God, Jesus, God in Christ, forgave us. Those are the myths about forgiveness. Let's talk for a minute about what forgiveness is. And we'll talk for a minute about what forgiveness isn't. But I, I, I want to go to the Bible. Probably a good idea in church. Can we do that? There are a number of Greek words in the New Testament that are translated forgiveness and, or to forgive, and, and they all carry a piece of our English word to forgive. In Ephesians 4, verse 32, uh, Paul wrote to his friends in Ephesus, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And then he says, as we do this, we're becoming imitators of God. The word he uses here for forgiveness is the Greek word charizomo, charizomai, excuse me. It means to pardon. To pardon one another as God in Christ has pardoned you. The root word of this word is charis, which may be familiar to you because that is the root word of the, of the word charismata, the grace gifts that we receive from the Holy Spirit. It means in this context, receiving something that you have not earned or do not deserve. Pardon assumes guilt, right? You don't pardon innocent people. Pardoning someone, it assumes guilt, but it says what was done was wrong, and yet I choose to suspend punishment. You with me so far? So part of the act of forgiving has to do with suspending the right to, an ex to exact a punishment that is actually deserved. Jesus said in Luke 23, verse 34, Father, this is him on the cross, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That Greek word is the Greek word ephemi. It means to let go, to give up, or to walk away, leaving something behind. When, when Jesus calls the disciples on the shore to follow him, and it says they leave their nets and they follow Jesus, it says they leave their nets and they ephemied Jesus. They left everything else behind to follow him. So on the cross, Jesus is saying, Father, ephemi them. 
let go and leave their sin behind. So you have these, these two concepts. One has to do with extending an undeserved pardon, and the other has to do with walking away from, or allowing them, excuse me, to walk away from whatever it is that they need to leave behind. In this, in this case, the sin or the offense. What we need to see here, and that what we're going to come back to, is that forgiveness is not an emotion. It's not something we feel. It's a decision we make. It's something we do. The disciples, when they ephemied their nets to follow Jesus, weren't saying, I'm having a feeling about nets. Bye, Jesus. They were deciding to leave one thing in their life behind and to follow Jesus into something new. When we forgive, we are making a decision in our mind in the hope that at some point it will translate down to the heart. But we as disciples are making a decision, an act of obedience, a sacrifice, often to allow that person to move forward without carrying with them the consequences or even the stain of the sin that they had committed. You tracking with me? Okay, it's not what I feel. Feeling comes later. Forgiveness is something that I choose to do. All right, Matthew 21. Let's look at a conversation Jesus has with Peter. And here's something I want you to see in this story. Forgiveness, forgiveness doesn't keep score. I don't know if that's in your notes or not. And if, if you're somebody who likes to, to write all these things down, let me just tell you that we put the outline together before I decided to make this a two-part series. Um, you are not going to fill out everything on your outline. I hope you can live with that sense of being undone. Thank you, Bill. I'm forgiven. Leave that sin behind and let's walk away. Okay. So Matthew 18, uh, verse 21, 22. Uh, Peter comes to Jesus and he said, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? It's a good number. Seems holy. No, not seven times, Jesus replied. But 70 times seven. What's Peter's question? Jesus, what is the acceptable limit? How many times do I have to forgive someone who has done me wrong before I can write them off? And if you read this story and go, ah, seven, Peter, that's not a lot. Rabbis, at this point in history, were teaching that even God only forgave a sin three times. They took that from an obscure text in the book of Amos. God will forgive you something three times. The fourth time, man, he's bringing the hammer. So Peter Peter is like doubling what God was going to do, adding one and going, Jesus, is that enough? And Jesus says, no, Peter, not seven times, 70 times seven. That doesn't mean we, we do the math, 490, okay, and we have a tally sheet, and at 491, we're free. Jesus was saying, true forgiveness, living in a spirit of forgiveness means that we don't keep count. If you're still counting, if I'm still counting, how many times I've forgiven someone? I'm probably not forgiving them. Because remember, to leave behind, I'm saying I forgive you, but I'm still counting. Five, six, seven, here comes the hammer. I, <laughs> I used to think when I, was, when I was coming up at church, this whole turn the other cheek, right? That thing was really bugging me. Um, it wasn't in my kind of... <laughs> 
natural DNA. So my take was, okay, Jesus, I'm going to turn the other cheek, but I've only got two. They hit that second one. I'm taking them out. I mean, we're, we're, going, we're going to the mat. And Jesus is saying, Peter, walking in a spirit, in an attitude, in a posture of forgiveness means that you stop counting. You stop holding sins against them. Now, remember, look at this in light of those five myths. He doesn't say at any point to Peter, just make yourself vulnerable before them. Because forgiving them has more to do with my relationship with God than it has to do with my relationship with them. I can still set boundaries, and I can still hold them, but I am going to be right by my God. 1 Corinthians 13.5, right, speaking of love, it says, love speaks, love keeps no record of wrong. That, the word keep, logosomai, is an accountant's term. And Jesus, in speaking through Paul, is saying, we don't tally them, we don't make them add up, we don't hold on to them. Here's why I like to hold on to them. Keeping a record of the wrongs done against me helps me to justify the anger that I feel. And it's much easier for me to feed my anger than it is for me to allow Jesus to deal with my pain. Let me say that again. The reason I like to keep a record of wrongs is that it justifies the anger that I feel. Of course I'm mad because they did one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. The reason that I want to justify the anger and the hurt that I feel is because it's easier for me to feed that anger than it is for me to allow Jesus to deal with my pain. And at the root of that anger is pain. I, I, had, a, I had a staff member in my office one day, and she was just giving it to me. I mean, just, she was so mad, and she was letting me have it, and I was listening and fighting that thing. You know, when somebody comes at you, you want to come at them twice as hard. I'm just, I'm pushing it down, young leader. And, and finally, she's quiet for a minute, and she goes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you're catching so much of my anger. Mad is Sad's big brother. She said, I'm experiencing some pain right now, and I don't want to deal with that pain, so it's easier for me to be mad at you than sad about what's happening. This is why Jesus invites us to keep no record. This is why Jesus invites us to come to a spirit of forgiveness, to, to offer people forgiveness even though they don't deserve it. Jesus is so concerned with the pain that you carry because he loves you profoundly and he wants to heal you. He wants to heal me. Forgiveness is a door that I get to walk through that brings me into the healing presence of the Holy Spirit. And as long as I hold to my anger, as long as I justify my position, I am withholding my heart from the healing presence of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus goes on to paint a picture for Peter. In verse 23, after Jesus says, no, you don't keep count, Verse 23 says, therefore, now, for you Bible scholars, Bible college, they taught me, every time you see the word therefore, you ask yourself, what's it there for? That's a freebie. 
it points back to what just happened. So Jesus is going to tell Peter a story to help him understand the importance of forgiveness, not to justify a 70 times 7, but to help him understand. It says, therefore, Peter, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. Rome's economic engine in Jesus' day was driven by slavery. It was a slave economy, and it's the only way they were able to do what they did. And there were a number of different ways you could find yourself in slavery. You could be born into slavery. Um, you could be a conquered people groups, and, and as you were conquered, you were then taken into slavery. Or you could sell yourself into slavery in order to settle a debt. So that's what's kind of going on behind the scenes in the minds of people as Jesus is talking. The man fell down, verse 26, before his master and begged him, please be patient with me. I'll pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat, demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me, and I will pay it. Does that sound familiar? When some of the, um, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the men arrested, put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king, told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. Fun story. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from the heart. So you've got a servant who's borrowed millions of dollars from his master, from his king. He's a, he's a day laborer. He has very little hope of ever paying this back. When he, res- he asks for mercy, the, the, the debt is due. It's due today pay me. He asks for mercy. The debt isn't postponed. It's not suspended. It's done away with. It's ephemied. It's sent away. And in his great joy, this forgiven servant finds a fellow servant who doesn't owe him millions, owes him thousands, and demands that his debt be immediately paid. His debt, he has no means to make it, so he throws him in prison until he can find a way to payment. This, Jesus is so smart. He's just so smart. The guy won't forgive a debt. He wants it repaid, and so he throws someone in prison. How the heck do you earn the money to pay off a debt while you're in prison? You can't. This is, so this is an allegory. So one of the things that Jesus hearers would be going, Oh, wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. He didn't sell him into slavery and take the money. He put him in prison and said, you're going to stay here until you can pay the debt. Unforgiveness makes very little sense, though we feel justified in the moment. Now, they tell the king, and the king's hot. Matthew 18, Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Forgiveness is reciprocal. We receive and we give. We receive 
and we give. Jesus said to his disciples, freely you have received, freely give. So you and I, by the way, I don't know who you identify with in the story, um, but I think in Jesus' telling, we're meant to identify not with the king, but perhaps with the foolish servant, the one who was forgiven much and then didn't forgive. That's who I identify with when I read the story. If you identify with the king, I'm so very happy for you. I wish I could be like you. Jesus paid a debt that you and I were powerless to pay. No shot. No, no chance at all of coming good on that. And so at great personal cost to himself, he sent that debt away. And now, like the king in the story, he expects that you and I would extend the same forgiveness that we've received from him. Not because he's mad at us and he's trying to make us do something super, super hard, but because he knows what unforgiveness will do to our hearts. We've been forgiven a debt that we couldn't pay. But I'm going to speak for myself, but I think it might be fair to speak it of many of us in this room. We've, we've been forgiven a debt we could not pay, but have a tendency to hold others hostages for the wrongs that they've committed. I've been forgiven, had no shot, but you do me dirty, I'm going to hold it over you. Why, why do you think that might be? I think it's because we place a higher value on the sins committed against us than on the sins we commit. Sit with that for a minute. I've been sitting with it for a week. I had to write it. I think if we're honest, one of the reasons, I mean, isn't it true People do us wrong, and we want to get back, and we do somebody else wrong. We're like, hey, would you just give me some grace and mercy? I'm really sorry. I was having a bad day. I was only on my seventh cup of coffee. I wasn't all there yet. Loving like Jesus means giving to others what we've been given. So when we're struggling to, to, to forgive, I hear the Holy Spirit inviting us to take our, our eyes, our hearts, our minds off of the offense and look to the places where we have received grace and mercy that we didn't deserve. And I'll tell you, I am a recipient of undeserved grace, mercy, and forgiveness on the regular. And because I have been forgiven a lot, I probably have a lot of forgiveness to extend to others. All right, I'm watching the clock. We're almost done. I'm really glad I cut this message in half. Because I'm only on page four. Okay. On to page five. Matthew 18, 28. When the forgiven man left the king, we just read this a moment ago, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars, grabbed him by the throat, demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him, begged for a little more time, be patient, I'll pay it, he pleaded. His creditor wouldn't wait, had the men arrested, put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. No appreciation, no perspective, right? Maybe if the king had said to that, that one that owed him so much, you have to pay me everything right now, then I might kind of be able to see him going to that other guy and go, okay, you need to pay me right now. But the king said, forgiven. This man had no appreciation, no perspective on what he'd been given. I heard a, I heard a message. Okay, quick segue. I was listening to a friend of mine preach the other day, and he was preaching about the gospel. And he's preaching about the good news of mercy, grace, and forgiveness. And he made this statement that made me go, oh, man. 
He said, often we, we, once we follow Jesus for a while, we have the perspective that the gospel is good news for people out there, and we forget that it's good news for us. Like, we've been, we've been walking in forgiveness so long, we kind of lose sight of it, maybe even take it for granted. And, and he was just saying, he was saying, guys, never lose sight of the undeserved favor, grace, and forgiveness that God extends to us daily. When forgiveness is withheld, bad things happen to us. Watch this, 1834 and 35. In his anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. You don't make money in prison, and you don't make money being tortured. That is not a growth industry. This man was trapped in his pain. Hear me. He was trapped in his pain because he refused to forgive. What I want you to see as we wrap this up this morning is that the story ends with two people in jail. Not one. Two. What is Jesus trying to stay here? say here? What, what is the story Therefore, remember, it's an oral tradition in which Jesus is teaching. This is an allegory. He's telling a story. So we're not meant to make specific doctrinal applications out of that story. Like, oh, God's going to get you good. He's going to torture you in eternity if you don't forgive your brother. What Jesus is saying what people would have understood is that it was the servant's refusal to forgive that led to him being jailed, not his debt. It wasn't the fact that he owed money that put him in jail. It was the fact that he was unwilling to forgive. Jesus is saying that when we refuse to forgive, we are responsible for jailing ourselves. Unforgiveness holds us back. It, it cont controls our moods, our behaviors. It it, it defines our reality. And when the Holy Spirit prompts us to extend forgiveness to someone who has wounded us and we refuse to, then at some point Jesus says, okay, John, you can be in charge. And I say, great. And I slam the door on my own prison cell. God does not invite us to forgive in order to check a box on holy living. God invites us to forgive because his goal for all of humanity is human flourishing. And there is no human flourishing possible unless we choose to follow the Lord's instruction to forgive those who sin against us. Ray Dunning says this, he says, forgiveness is like the air in your lungs. There's only room for you to inhale the next breath when you've just breathed out the previous one. If you insist on withholding it, refusing to give someone else the kiss of life they may desperately need, you won't be able to take any more in yourself and you will suffocate quickly. And Jesus wants us to breathe in his grace, his mercy, and his forgiveness. Now, I feel like, I'm going to pray for you in a second. I, I feel like I'm leaving us a little undone this morning. 
And on one hand, I want to apologize. And on the other hand, I, I don't because I feel like this is where the Lord is leading us. Next week, I'm, I'm going to talk to you about how to forgive. Not mechanics in the sense of mechanical, but how do I go about the process of doing something I really don't feel like doing? And I'm going to pray that you experience the grace, the peace, the mercy, the favor of Jesus all week long. And here's the very simple question I want you to wrestle with this week. Because pain will come to mind and anger with it. The question I want you to wrestle with this week is are you willing to follow Christ as a disciple to forgive people who don't deserve forgiveness? And you may even be saying, I don't know how to do that. That's not the question this week. The question this week is, are you willing to follow Christ's example to extend forgiveness to people who don't deserve it? Or would you rather be Sunday morning Christian? Which you're welcome to be and we'll still love you deeply. I don't want anybody emailing me. I've decided to be a... I don't want to know. I don't need to know. It's not something you need to say to me. But I know there is in this room very deep, unresolved hurt. And Jesus so desperately wants to heal it. That's why he went to the cross. But there are some things that we have to choose to align with in order to receive that healing. So Jesus is just saying quick, quietly, Are you willing? Because I am. Let me pray for you. Jesus, there are hurts in this room that have been hidden for decades. There are hurts in this room that are as fresh as this morning. Lord, in all of them, unrighteous as they were, All of them are subject to your healing touch and your restorative presence. And so, Lord, as we go about this week, just really being honest with you and with ourselves, I'm so grateful for the Psalms and the times David just yelled at you. God, it teaches me that you can handle our insecurities, our questions, our frustration, even our anger. Lord, as we look forward to a time next Sunday of communion, remembering your forgiveness, receiving your forgiveness afresh. Will you talk to us about the places in our life you might be inviting us into to extend forgiveness? And Lord, help us remember that we can extend forgiveness because it starts with a decision. We can extend forgiveness without having a conversation. Some people simply aren't safe for us to go to and say, I forgive you, and that would harm the relationship rather than rebuild it but we can choose in our own heart and mind to obey you and follow your direction. Lord, I ask for peace and grace upon each of us this week. God, would you, would you guard our hearts from the hand of the enemy that would want to agitate and stir up and poke places that have been sore? Lord, we invite in the, in the words of your word the, the peace of God that is beyond our understanding to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.